Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode. Oh, this fucks me up every time. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. Welcome to episode eight of the uh, Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to the book Eggshells: Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, which goes through the history of every single event that's ever taken place in one of Japan's most famous arenas. In this podcast, I have a different guest every week to take a look at a different year in history in the Tokyo Dome. This episode, we're looking at 1996, and joining me, uh, you may know him from uh, the band Fucked Up, you may know him from the television station uh, Viceland, you may know him from the country of Canada, uh damien abraham hello chris thank you for having me on the show you're welcome damien i I feel like i feel like every time i'm in a conversation with you yeah what most people feel like in a conversation with me about punk music like i am i am humbled by your knowledge every time (laughs) so i like these opportunities to just sit down at the learning tree and and learn a little bit all right so i mean where's your uh connection with with uh japanese wrestling when it comes to the year 1996 were you were you trading tapes or uh where where were you with wrestling at that point in general anyway in 1996 i kind of was like it it was actually like i was still watching you know we're we're kind of heading towards you know the the big boom like the last big boom period in america and in canada as well so i was definitely watching um but it was still like it wasn't something I'd really engaged in yet. And I think it was because I didn't know about, you know, I, I probably knew about it, but I didn't really appreciate the fact that there was a sort of international wrestling world that existed for se- over a century at this point. And these people have been traveling around the world and learning different skills. And it was like a lot like the music that I was really into at the time, punk. Um, but it would be about three, four years before I st- really started seeing a lot of Japanese pro wrestling. And it was for my gateway, as I've told you before, is uh, maybe not maybe not the highest of high arts when it comes to Japanese pro wrestling, but the FMW DVDs were my gateway. Um, but I was still about maybe three years off, two years off from seeing those. So it was mainly, you know, the American product that I was kind of consuming at this time. Mm. Many WWF or was there some WCW in there? Because we're like up north, there was like, you know, WCW – Around this time, you were hearing about it, you were seeing it, but it was not on the radar in the same sort of way. You'd need a specialty station, you needed like TNT or TBS, or you needed like one of the Turner broadcasts, like right until the late, late 90s, and then they started showing it up here, and it became a little more accessible. Um, But like, yeah, like short of seeing ads in Marvel Comics and like the odd sort of reference to WCW when I was down in the States on vacation with my family, like it was mainly a WWF Maple Leaf Wrestling, which was the wrestling program that was on syndicated up here too, uh, were my kind of consumption points. Mm-hmm. So that kind of pro- presumably shapes like a lot of Canada's exposure to da- Japanese wrestling, you know, because at least like in America, they'd be, oh, here's Jushin Liger for a mm-hmm. random match. Um, whereas you guys didn't get that. You're right. But I think it, but it's weird because there were also like, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the promotion now, but there's this promotion that operated up in, in around Toronto briefly that was bringing in a lot of amazing Japanese talent. Um, really before sort of the boom were in kicked off, like way before the boom were in kicked off. And like, of course, stampede wrestling was bringing in people Mm. from all over the place as well. But you're right. Like for the most part, like the rank and file, 
television product was WWF. And as any fan knows, the representation of Japanese people has not always been the best on WWF television. Right, right. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we had uh, Hikushi on one of these shows. Uh, yeah, that's true. In, in 1996. <laughs> Um, that's what it's, it's also amazing when I, you know you recognize that person from you know and, and now this is kind of like a, a fairly common experience but it was like when you were first when i was first getting into these tapes and seeing these japanese wrestlers like oh wow this guy's way better in japan like why are they doing this with this guy on tv why are they doing this whole val venus gimmick mm. yeah well i in hakusha's case it's it's bizarre because he was he was called over so young purely for his look you know and that that's something i interviewed like jinsei shinzaki for the book and um yeah he was he was kind of bemused at how quickly he got the opportunity and then how quickly he was called back you know because he said to me that you know he was only going he was only going to go for as long as it took for him to to be given a match with uh keiji muto and like he was, he, he wound up being gone for a year <laughs> and then he got to, to like come back. So, and well, like yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I mean, I, and the fact that he went over and, and was Hakushi with the, the character, probably, I don't know, one of the best treated Japanese guys in the end, you know, because mm-hmm. in the WWF, certainly at the time, because it probably wasn't around long enough. Um, but that it was such a, a high concept character of like a, a, a Buddhist monk with like, you know, mantras written all over his face which is a reference to like um the, quite on a, right uh, it's a classical story called hochi the earless um it's one, yeah he doesn't put the spell on his ears yeah exactly exactly strips off the ears yeah 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 it's it's a bit like so beyond what a WWF audience maybe would yeah. in in 1996 but uh well, yeah yeah interesting guy uh where did his gimmick come from like where did that like who who was watching? Because like I, uh, the reason I'm familiar with that story is because of this incredible uh, Japanese film from the 1960s called Kaidan, which which tells that story. Mm. Um, but like who in the WWE office at that time, WWF office at the time, was like watching Japanese cinema or or reading sort of classic Japanese ghost stories? Well, I mean, like he was already Shinzaki was already doing like the the um, Shintoist thing. Yeah, and and I think he has a bit of a religious background to him, so I, I dare say he came up with it or like profited oh. it, you know. Um, but uh, it yeah, it. it's amazing they went with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, nineteen ninety six, uh, quite year in general. If you, if you weren't into Japanese wrestling at the time, Damien, lots of like uh, Japanese uh, significant pop culture moments uh, came from nineteen ninety six. Uh, nineteen ninety six brought us the Nintendo sixty four. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was a lot of gateways into Japanese wrestling because like WCW, NWO Revenge, and then it's like, oh, there's all these Japanese guys in it. Um, yeah. But actually, uh, you know what, what you're saying there when you were talking about my familiar, familiarity with WCW, uh, it would be that video game. It was video games, you know, and yeah. that's also probably Japanese wrestling as well. Right. Uh, was playing guys on video games. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of a lot of wrestlers like Japanese wrestlers got into wrestling because of fire pro wrestling you know mm-hmm. um and uh february brought us pokemon in japan at least um and then in november we got the tamagotchi all of those coming from 1996 in, in- <laughs>
Japan. Did you have a Tamagotchi at the time, Damien? I'm trying to envisage you. <laughs> I, I'm not like our mutual friend, John Pollock, and uh, I was not a Tamagotchi killer. Yeah. I think uh, I was like a little too old, I guess, for for that. Um, mm. But I still was very much in the throes of watching it happen around me, pop culture-wise. There you go. There you go. Uh, usually in prior episodes of this podcast, um, I've I've pulled out some sort of saccharine J-pop hit from the era to give it to give a taste from it. Um, but I figured because you were you were so excited and and you chose the year 1996 because of of what was happening musically in Japan at the time. What was going on musically in Japan at the time that, that wasn't saccharine pop? Well, for me, it was. This is actually kind of just the year that I personally got introduced to my favorite genre of music, which is Japanese hardcore, and specifically Burning Spirits hardcore, which is heavily, heavily indebted to Japanese pro wrestling. The name comes from the Bruiser Brody quote about Enoki, um, and all the wrestlers. So many of the wrestlers are massive sorry so many of the bands are massive fans of pro wrestlers um kojima's brother even fronts one of the bands tetsuarai um and for me 1996 will forever be the year that i first heard about to me, the greatest Japanese hardcore band ever. This is debatable for a lot of people, but to me, judge them. Uh, Judgment was a super group comprising members of Bastard and Deathside. And it, it sounds like Metallica covering Black Flag. Like it just has, you know, all the kind of metallic virtuosity that I love about Japanese Burning Spirits hardcore, but still, you know, retains that kind of punk energy. And, and, and philosophically, the approach to Burning Spirits hardcore is also very much in line with sort of this japanese wrestling approach to you know like you know you want to like leave everything in the ring you want to leave everything on stage you want to just give it your all but yeah that's why 1996 for me is a big year and it's also the year i went straight edge too so a lot of things happened in my life that year cool 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 yeah it's interesting because like a lot of like the 1996 certainly the new japan music it was like the late 90s. It was more sort of European hair metal that, that, that mm -hmm. was so openly plagiarizing mm -hmm. um, instead of, I guess, the bands that, that were super big fans of wrestling. Well, um, I've also like always kind of wondered, like, where does that music come from? Like, you know, because a lot of times now, especially in North America, like it's, a, it's the wrestler bringing the song to the company or, or, you know, helping to kind of shape what they want their song to sound like, like in Japan, is it the same way or is it mainly the promotion that picks the guy's song? Um, New Japan has an in-house guy. Okay. Whose name escapes me, but, um, yeah, he was on Tanahashi's podcast once. Um, yeah. So I, I think like big promotions have in-house guys and well, really that just means New Japan has an, has an in-house guy. And then apart from that, yeah, it's, it's kind of people bringing their stuff, I think. 
for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which plays <laughs> havoc with rights deals now that everybody has streaming services. So yeah, like, like you know, DDT is. Um, if you watch DDT online, it, it's crazily dubbed over. <laughs> like, and, you know, they're trying to figure out what royalty-free music there is, you know, and then it turns out that some of them really mismatched. Like, Togi Makabe is the only New Japan guy that gets dubbed because now, because they can't get Immigrant Song. Um, yeah. But his royalty-free music is the same as, I think, Antonio Honda's royalty-free music <laughs> on DDT. <laughs> And like they're such diverse <laughs> projects to character, they're like, yep, yeah, that's strange. You know? that is, yeah, that's a weird. Uh, I guess, but I guess you have to kind of just go with, like, you know, you look at ECW, you look at even even some WWE stuff now, and yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, you know, it fits in the time and it's perfect for the time. But years later, God goes right. I remember being in, but I mean, WWF used royalty free stuff. At the, you know, at different point. And I remember it like being in school and being shown an anti-drug video as you are like as as a teen, and then like thinking midway through, it's like this is entirely set to two calls music. <laughs> 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 trying to find something from the streets, you know, like the, the kids like to listen to. Um, well, I think it shows like the mentality of the people at WWF. They're kind of just like a bunch of narcs looking for something. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. All right. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah. Go on, sir. Well, I was I was gonna get off get us onto the rails here. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh and let's let's start with January uh January the fourth, nineteen ninety-six. Um as we have a look here at what was going on. Battle Formation was uh our April show. What was the name of the, the January show? Dosh. Darn it. It was Wrestling World in Tokyo Dome. So like this was um the first of a bunch of Wrestling World shows, though, which went up until two thousand and four. Uh the January fourth show was was known as as Wrestling World. Um in the to sort of set the scene at the time, um the year had closed out with the with the New Japan, New Japan versus UWFI uh feud. Um and that was really, really hot towards the end of nineteen ninety five. Um, starting to peter out, um, you know, as we, as we got into 1996, which, um, meant something kind of had to be done, uh, to keep the feud going, which is how we eventually got to, uh, Nobuhiko Takada beating Keiji Muto, uh, for the IWGB title in the main event. But, um, we always choose just a couple of matches from, from each show to do deep dives on. And, uh, I always throw it open to the guest to pick first and for both of our shows that we're really going to have a good good look at, because uh, there's one which we can't really <laughs> look at, except theoretically, this this episode. Um, but you chose uh, both Jushin Thunder Liger matches um, for this particular episode. Uh, in this case, it meant uh, Jushin Thunder Liger against Koji Kanemoto. Why did you, why did you choose this one? Well, because I was looking at the reviews on Cage Match, and <laughs> it was like, I think it, I think it got four and a half stars. Um, but also I just think, uh, Jushin Thunder Liger is like, you know, another example of a wrestler that uh, seems to connect with or connected early on, I should say with, uh, a North American audience, probably because of their exposure to him, but, and because of his look too. Um, but I just think both these matches are, are interesting. And I find, you know, like this has got to be one of his better years, right? Like, or one of the better years for, for the junior heavyweights. 
Yeah, I mean, it it would and it wouldn't. I mean, like like I had tremendous momentum and then it eventually would get stalled because um, it would have been around August that uh, they discovered a, a malignant, uh, not malignant, a, a benign uh, brain tumour uh, for Jushin Liger. He, he wound up, uh, I think, falling off the apron or taking a bad bump and... Um, you know, then he sort of went to hospital to get to get that checked out, and it's like, oh, you have a brain tumor as well. So like that, that was a thing um, that took him out for a, a few months. But uh, yeah, he'd he'd had a difficult '95 as well, where like he'd missed a, a good few months with an ankle injury. Came back, uh, won the J Cup, and this was like his first challenge of the title, uh, challenge to the junior title, uh, coming back. And really, like both the matches, we'll see with um, with Kana, Kanamoto and with uh, Sasuke. Um, they sort of really defined or really kicked off in earnest like two rivalries that would defend like uh, define Liger through through the late 90s and uh, Liger and Kanemaru would, would wrestle more than a few times just on a real practical um, kind of question before we get into the matches how does it work with contracts in Japan like all these guys seem to be working for multiple companies in a given year is that talent exchanges are those cross promotion things or is it just like they're independent contractors in the true sense of the word and they can kind of go work other places if they're not being used if you're like if you're working you know and i would say this was probably the case at the time as well but like um you know if, if you're working for the quote unquote majors then you would have a, a more exclusive contract and it would depend on who new japan was working with at the time Mm-hmm. Um, but even now, like if you look at a smaller scale, something like Big Japan, say, um, like a Daisuke Sakamoto, like is contracted to Big Japan. He has a contract there, um, but he's able to take bookings outside of that as well. You know, so I mean, I don't think it's not entirely unlike, uh, say, Ring of Honor deals with things in the states, or mm-hmm. perhaps even Impact has to now. You know, they they don't necessarily have the resources to make people go exclusive. And if they did have the financial resources, then they wouldn't have, you know, they're, they're just not running enough dates for that to be viable um, to, to most wrestlers. But uh, yeah, New Japan and uh, Michinoku Pro had a, had a very close relationship at, at this point in time. And it was probably a knock-on effect of, of Liger really bringing in um, or working closely with a lot of indies in the first Super J Cup, and then that going through, uh, you know, with War in 1995 that hosted the second Super J Cup. Um, so yeah, a lot of companies were still very chummy, and and New Japan and and War had a big working relationship at at this moment. So like New Japan was working with War and with UWFI and with Michinoku Pro, like like all at once. They they were very pally pally, and WCW of course. So. Yeah. So like, I guess you know, rising tide raises all ships at this point, and and it's kind of like it's we're we're, in, we're it's like the boom period still, right in Japan. Yeah, exactly. So this was yeah ninety six. You know, everything's still going up. Ninety seven would be the big uh, four billion yen peak uh, okay. for the company, which is something that they didn't you know they they hadn't managed to be until this year um actually you know and like we're recording this before the financial results are, are called but they're projecting like 4.6 billion yen for 20 financial 2017 um so wow. you know this year they've they've finally sort of exceeded that not to say that's not to say that there's more people watching per se but that they're monetizing that audience uh better now than they ever have um 
Yeah, so I mean, like Kanemaru, like this is this was actually a rematch of another Tokyo Dome show that uh, Tokyo Dome match that, that we've talked about on a prior episode because um, Kanemoto and Liger had wrestled back in 1993, except this time Kanemoto was under the Tiger Mask character the the time prior, um, and that was when you know like well Liger beat Kanemoto and Kanemoto demasked himself, um, but now. You know, here he is uh, without the mask and kind of starting this aggressive, um, you know, there's kind of mutual respect at the start of this match that goes out the window by the end of it. And then, you know, this is kind of getting to the point where Kanemoto gets, uh, you know, pals up with Shinjiro Otani at like 73, 96, 97 and takes it to all the, the masked wrestlers uh at the time um so just yeah I, I really really good stuff this this is a good choice of match uh to kick us off thing I, with i think yeah like it's it's one of those things where i like i this style of wrestling you know being someone that you know really started going to a lot of wrestling during the 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 onset of the american indie wrestling boom like this fast pace kind of hard hitting like this is this is why i think when i kind of was like oh i don't want to just be a guy that watches what's on TV. I want to try and find, uh, like the good wrestling out there. And you kind of got, you start to get, I mean, occasionally you get it with, with Liger that, Oh, Liger's pissed off <laughs> you know, in the, in this match. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's, there's parts of this match, especially when he is sort of dictating the pace that you see shades of like the higher, the, the real evil heelish black Liger that, that you'd see sort of late, 90s you know going into 2000 here um but, well even uh, yeah during your sasuke's match where he's like yeah 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 you know, that's using it. using the 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 rails against him and things like that like you can see that yeah he's he's not i don't like was he because it's like out of anime was he like a beloved children's character like is this like a huge harsh thing for kids to see happen no, I mean the the thing is like Jushin Thunder Lego only went like two seasons, I think. Like it, oh. it really wasn't a a huge success, you know, and it, it certainly nowhere near as huge a success as, as the wrestling character was, you know. Yeah. And perhaps you know, there was there was something to that where, you know, Liger said before that, you know, with, with Tiger Mask, you know, that was a wrestling anime and a wrestling manga. So it was kind of something that dictated whoever was going to be under that mask. It kind of dictated what they were going to do in a, in, to an extent. Whereas like Liger, the first time he saw this anime, he was like, right, I'm going to sit down and watch this and, and really try to imbue this character in the ring. And it's just about like, I don't know, biomechanical ninja beasts you know they're as tall as the building and like slashing things with swords you know and and you know like i said he, he watched that going how the hell am i gonna be this but you know it wound up doing good for him because he was able to be whoever he wanted you know and wrestle mm -hmm. how he wanted to wrestle in in the end and it didn't sort of um fence him in in the same way that kanemoto certainly felt really fenced in and i know miss our felt really fenced in uh in that character as well um what yeah, like I, I guess it's like uh, you know because it's an open book at that point. Like he can kind of write his own, his own uh, version of this guy. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. One of the interesting things here is uh, the finish of this match. Jushin Thunder Liger accidentally invents the Stardust Press um, <laughs> because, because like, I think because I watched it and I was like, oh, you know, the the first couple of times I watched. 
the match. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking, oh, well, that's good. What, whatever, what's that? Like, Liger never does that. And the second time you watch it, it's like, oh, that's the status press. You know, that's the you know, Naito's move or whatever. Um, and so oh, that's a weird thing that he pulled out once and, and never did again. Um, and then it wasn't until I, I talked to Koto Ibushi for the book. And like he was, he said, you know, you know, this was, this was Ibushi's sort of best favorite Tokyo Dome match before he was, he, before he became pro wrestler. And he told me that, yeah, I, I think Liger fucked up and, and accidentally <laughs> invented the Stardust Press, which like, if you watch it and think about it, he's probably trying to do like the Kanemoto, like corkscrew sent on thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just sort of over-rotates a bit and winds up, you know, doing doing this uh, course through Moonsaults and, and pins him. But, uh, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> it was a good finish. I think I love and lo- I love about this match and, and the other match, too, um, with Liger is that it's just like it, it's it's crisp and it's smooth, but it's also it just feels so real. Like when he's setting him up for something, it doesn't feel like he's setting him up for for like a move. It feels like it, it's it's in the course of a fight. And, and I, I don't know, I think that's why I, I think I love about Jushin Thunder Liger is that he's, and, 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 and Kinemoto too, because they're both like these guys that just have, like, it's a fight. Like, it's a, it's a high-flying fight. Mm, and there's, there's bits of this, like, the, the German suplex to Kinemoto in this match. And then, you know, if, if, we, if we're lumping these together, like, the, in the Sasuke match as well, there's, there's a bit where, you know, Sasuke comes out at him and tries to hit a diving Rana or something. And, like, it's just like, fuck you, Powerpoint. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, yeah, there's just such, there's a viciousness to it um, that you very rarely, you, you don't see that much of, like from junior heavyweights in general, mm-hmm. you know, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, like, um, I hadn't seen it for a long time and, until uh, I was watching shows, Shotonaka's run in the Best of the Super Juniors this year. And he has, like, that, you know, aura of viciousness, um, you know, that the, a, a Liger had or an Otani had or a Kanemoto had. Um, and, yeah, and I think, like, Liger's so good at kind of making these things personal in a way mm. you know the the mm. story behind um the april match was because the whole the whole show in april was leading towards um takada defending the iwgp belt against uh hashimoto and like i was saying oh the heavyweight titles with another company now it's not with new japan and but like i have the junior heavyweight belt so i can't surrender it to like this this independent you know um sort of sneering uh, sneering look at you know there, there was kind of an extent of like New Japan sort of we're working with with Michinoku Pro very closely but uh, within the context of the of promotion and announcing and, and promos and things it was always kind of looking down on the indies which is kind of what you know Riki Choshu was was want to do at the time but do you have uh, any other thoughts from uh, from the Sasuke match in particular as well no, sorry, my 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 mic cut out for a second there. So I'm trying to talk, <laughs> but it's funny because like, you know, they, there is that contempt yet that they work with so many indies, you know, and especially mm-hmm. during this time period, like that's the thing that I was kind of, you know, like once again, I'm not certainly not an expert in this time period in Japanese pro wrestling, but it's just amazing how many different guys are kind of jumping around and how many guys I recognize from different shows. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I mean, Liger was 
uh, sort of still had the big hand in booking the juniors at the time. And Choshu was mainly booking the heavyweights. So there was a little bit of a, a sort of disconnect in how matches were being made. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and you know, Liger was very open to working with Michinoku because you know he said that Michinoku Pro would be which which is so willing to do anything to sort of drop anything, everything, and, and come work with New Japan because they valued the exposure in a way, I guess. Yeah, and like you know, Shinzaki told me that from their point of view, um you know, we can go out, be seen on a broader stage. And because their business was really about sort of selling tickets to shows in the rural areas and, and the countryside where New Japan wasn't running. Um, so there was a thing of like, get exposure, be on TV. And then the fans in those areas would, would want to come out in the countryside and watch a Michinoku Pro show. So it was kind of win-win. Actually, that April show, um, Sasuke missed a Michinoku Pro booking. Uh, even as the president of the company to work in New <laughs> Japan in the Tokyo Dome. So, yeah. Um, and, like, I guess the other thing I, I kind of wondered about during this time period is, like, it seems like in Japan it's like, you know, when, when heavyweights are up, junior heavyweights are down as far as popularity or, or, or just, like, I don't know, just, it seems like it's one's in the hot period when the other one's not. Um, was Was this more of a heavyweight time period or is this a, a junior heavyweight time period? I think like if you're comparing, if you're aware of where New Japan is as compared to All Japan, like yeah. All Japan was in this this heavyweight, you know, boom, boom period. You know, this this was you know in our sort of four pillars um, era here. Whereas like New Japan, what set them apart was their junior heavyweight division. I think, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, it was still where you had like Hashimoto going strong, Muto going strong, Chono, uh, finally, you know, Masahiro Chono breaking through and being a big deal and, you know, being that, that sort of dark character that, um, really sort of inspired the NWO stuff, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think like there was, there was such a, there was an amazing depth all the way through, but Liger was able to do so much with the, with the junior heavyweight, division and the junior heavyweight depth was so strong that they were almost equal like this was like the golden era i think of of junior heavyweight wrestling uh in new japan and then like later on because later on in 96 we get that uh jushin Liger versus hashimoto match as well um so yeah this this was really i don't think you'd you'd find another period where the junior heavyweight uh division meant as much um you know as as it did here well, then that kind of that leads me to my next question, which is like, do you think we're kind of heading back towards a period where, you know, people are talking about the super juniors a lot last couple of years. There's a lot of like, you know, smaller size guys that are, are are really popular, maybe not in Japan, but internationally really popular for the mm. wrestling in Japan. Like, are we heading towards like another maybe not as big a boom, but like another boom? Uh, me, I mean, I would hope so. But at the same time, there's such you know there's just weird perceptions around it and like there is still it's almost like the the wrestlers and the promotion are sort of maintaining this this glass ceiling of um you know will osprey said it recently you know like i 
do everything and like i love my position where i am i can't remember what you, exactly you said but uh, you know ultimately i want to if i want a main event at the tokyo dome i need to be a heavyweight um and so yeah there's there's few people you know there's not many people like kushida that are going to be like i'm going to be a junior heavyweight for my entire career and and i want to you know have these two be seen at the same level which means when you have a guy like Os- to an extent Osprey is certainly a guy like uh, Shotanaka is getting certainly a guy like Hiromu yeah. Takahashi is getting like a lot of people rather than thinking this guy is going to make the junior heavyweight division like a huge deal like Liger they're kind of more thinking oh when is he going to go heavyweight and uh, you know because I want to see him wrestle Kenny Omega or, or Okada or someone um, so it's a difficult yeah it's a, it's a difficult call mm-hmm. yeah. well these are this is why I love coming and talking to you buddy because i feel like uh i feel like i need remedial japanese wrestling classes constantly and and i feel like i can get you to bring me up to speed on stuff <laughs> do i need to bring you up to speed on what was happening with with uwf versus new japan at the time well i actually just started watching uwf but um but i would not hurt from a refresher it's been a while since i read lines pride so the the story was that uh you know and in the last episode with with way we were sort of really talked about where this feud happened uh in great detail but um uwfi finally working with new japan basically something that was in the works since 1992 uh and finally actually happened in in 1995 um and you had that tokyo dome show uh which we talked about in the last episode uh selling out a sold-out show, Damien, selling out the Tokyo Dome completely, legitimately, um, on a Monday night in the middle of a work week. Like, no holidays, nothing around it. Just here's wrestling on the Tokyo Dome, and it's sold out. Um, so unbelievably partisan, unbelievably sort of hot. Um, but this is kind of where things are cooling down a little bit. Um and, you know, basically the, the show uh, on January the 4th was built around a few, uh, you know, New Japan vs. UWFI uh, matches. So you had uh, Masahito Kakihara against uh, Riki Choshu, uh, Kazuo Yamazaki against Shinya Hashimoto um, were a couple of the, the sort of higher up UWF versus New Japan matches. And it spoke to how Choshu dealt with interpromotional feuds and how, you know, how that, that isn't particularly good for the long term, which is to say the home team wins always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so UWF would wind up getting pretty much destroyed when they were at New Japan shows. And then they'd get another show where New Japan would send over some mid-tier New Japan guys to a UWF high card. And then the UWF guys would always win. Uh, but the problem there really means like the bigger promotion is going to win at the end of the day, you know, and the the smaller the smaller guy is is kind of missing out. Um, but this it's... would lead to Takada beating Muto for for the title at the at the end to to really keep it going. And that was that was a really huge moment for the show. Um, but at the same time, we start to see here like New Japan taking this UWFI feud and start to push it down towards war. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had a few, uh, war guys on this, on this show and like the war relationship had been going for about three years at this point. 
And uh, then the, the match which I chose from January 4th, uh, which was Hiromichi Fuyuki from War defeating Yoji Anjo uh, in a matter of minutes. And um, I don't know if you saw this, Damien, but I didn't necessarily buy it, uh, bring this match up because it was a technical classic of any kind. No, but I, 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 I watched it and I was at first like, you know, shocked by the runtime. But then I, I guess it speaks to another style of wrestling that was happening at the time. Yeah, uh, you know why, uh, well, I mean, I, I wanted to bring it up because this was kind of how things had changed and Yoji Anjo had changed. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Yoji Anjo, like the, the you know, on the, the prior show we had, this was the famous uh, guy that wrestled Ricky Choshu, uh, got the shit kicked out of him by a visibly pissed off Ricky Choshu. And that led to the, the famous quote of like, um, you know, the, the reporter saying, Kirita, like, are you, are you mad? And then, like, Choshu going, like, I, I wasn't mad at all, like, nothing. <laughs> it was just, this is instance of, he was just, like, booting a guy in the head. You know? <laughs> but, you know, there, there was a thing of, I think Choshu saw, like, kind of a character heel in Yoji Anjo and was trying to bring that out of him. And definitely by this point, Yoji Anjo was no longer, like, the uwfi like strict fierce fighter you know and, and Andrew yeah. had been around in the second generation uh uwf as well you know so he was a veteran of that style but here he was uh kind of much more cartoony and um you know a notable thing was you know fuyuki was the leader of a stable called fuyuki gun uh in uh war which had notable members like chris jericho and mm-hmm. also jado and gado who were making their tokyo dome debuts well i was gonna say like <laughs> Looking at the present day of New Japan, out of all the relationships New Japan ever had, that war relationship yielded the the, the biggest uh, long term gains. Yeah, yeah. I mean, quite possibly so. And it was, and there you go. I mean, like it's it's it was a relationship where I think they were much more generous to war, you know, because yeah. like it was instantly, you know, Tenru comes in, Tenru beats Fujinami, Tenru beats. Choshu, Tenru beats Antonio Inoki, you know. Um, so it was very different to how New Japan would, would treat UWF, certainly. And, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it worked out in the end. And Jado and Kato took a much more circuitous route uh, back to New Japan. But it's interesting to see them here and then, like, you know, whatever taping shut Yoji Anjo's mouth, you know. <laughs> like, Anjo at the start, like, trying to fling deodorant at Fuki, you know. It, it's just such a really silly match you know um yeah very much unlike the the feel of the product at the time i think um just what you were saying earlier about how you know like with this uh uwfi kind of trading when when they would have new japan guys go over there you know they would be the heels and you know and then when these guys would come into new japan it was the the reverse it's just i really found when i was in japan how partisan japanese pro wrestling is mm yeah um yeah and it's something me and way talked about on the the last show that you know didn't get as much of that feeling until like that that new japan noah situation from a, from a couple of years ago where it's like wow on a main on a main scale like when you bring that up and that element of fandom people are such dedicated fans yeah to, the, to their to their one thing um yeah. that, that it really yeah it, it gets to be this this huge huge moment yeah and, absolutely and i guess now and I guess we kind of see it a little bit like in the great tune out that happened when WCW went off the air and you had all those wrestling fans that just never switched over to another product. They just 
tuned out wrestling like that was it but like it really felt like you know not every fan obviously but like some of the fans i talked to at these shows like it wouldn't even just be the promotion sometimes it would be like one star like i'm mm-hmm. here for, for this wrestler and it wouldn't even be a main eventer necessarily it'd be like someone else like i'm here for this wrestler and in joshi it was more common i found but even even in non in you know non joshi wrestling too like there'd be like this person that's like yeah i'm here for this one wrestler that's the person i like and it just seems like you know if that person stops wrestling or if that promotion goes away they just stop watching completely yeah 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 there's there's definitely a lot more people who are like i'm a new japan fan or i'm a ddt fan or even mm-hmm. to an extent i'm a wwe fan but that yeah. don't necessarily watch any other wrestling and if it's like oh you know, that that thing's gone then you know if if the uh if guts world is now no longer with us then there's going to be a few dedicated guts world fans that aren't watching guts anymore aren't watching pro wrestling in general you know well, well it's um, funny because like you know uh you see those fmw reunion shows and like obviously you know the the, the last one was huge but like for a lot of them they're not full but like you look around and you're like oh this person's like <laughs> this person was like an fmw fan and only went to FMW shows and and they're still only going to FMW shows or like a wing fan that only went to wing shows and only yeah. liked wing wrestlers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that do you do you think is that is that similar level of fandom around in in music or like other forms of live entertainment? Do you think I guess, I guess it's like I guess you do see it in music, but no, I, I, like maybe you see it in like sort of like the idol culture level of music, mm. you know, like, like the, the Justin Bieber's of the world, or actually that's not true. Like, um, you, you know, our other mutual friend, John Pollock, did you hear how excited he was this week talking about the awkward reunion or oh, yeah, 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 yeah. recently yeah. when he talked about the awkward reunion, sorry, when this podcast comes out, <laughs> um, <laughs> but he was so excited talking about aqua and I've never heard him get that excited ever talking about music. Right. So so it's almost like he's like the FMW fan of Aqua or the <laughs> the War fan of Aqua, the UWFI fan of Aqua. We're like that was his band. And when when they stop making music, he's like, I'm out. I don't yeah. I don't get any of this other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm trying to think what a good wrestling version of Aqua would be. Yeah, what would be, what uh, would be like the, the wrestling equivalent? Uh, what would be like the uh too cool? Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's hard to. I, I, that's the thing about wrestling. It's just there's there's like there's a lot of pop culture equivalencies, but then there are just some some things that just don't necessarily translate into other mediums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. But but like wrestling, I think is I would say it's almost more like a religion. Like yeah. in in some ways, like the way some of these fans kind of kind of treat. Their, their favorite stars or their favorite promotion in Japan, like where you have like people giving the gifts and you have, you know, like, um, the sponsors, it, it really feels like it is. And it's a great way to build up a fan base because these people are, are diehard fans this way. And, mm. and as long as your company doesn't go away, they're not going away. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, so some things, like you're saying, something, whether some things translate or not, like, I mean, my other match I, I picked for this, uh, from the, the April show, uh, battle formation was, uh, Randy Savage and Hiroyoshi Tenzan. Um, and I was kind of, this was a match where I kind of really expected Savage to translate 
sort of better than he did or connect more than he did. Um, you mm-hmm. know, because I mean, like I was still remembering Tenry and Savage from like the, the wrestling summit show, yeah. uh, you know, which was huge, but here we are. I, I mean, I guess six years later, he hadn't really wrestled, uh, you know, all that much in, in Japan, except for some of the, the war stuff and like SWS. Um, and this was one, this was his first of, I see only four matches, um, you know, in new Japan, uh, and then one of two of those were with American opponents, you know, so he had, uh, Ric Flair, uh, later in 1996 had Jushin Liger. <laughs> I saw that <laughs> July, which is something that I should probably go and look and see if it's on new Japan world or somewhere. Cause now I'm intrigued <laughs> to watch it. <laughs> Jeez, but eight minutes, but Savage versus Jushin Thunder Liger. I'll look that up. Um, and uh, yeah, Rick Steiner versus Randy Savage uh, in Wrestling World 2000, which I'm I'm sure I'm going to bring up with uh, my guest then at the time. That is sort of one to forget. Um, but uh, yeah, Savage versus Tenzan, a, a, a good match in the end. But uh, yeah, were, were you kind of thinking, oh, that that people aren't as as into this as certainly when you compare this to like the re- the crowd reaction to Sasuke versus Ligo. You know, it, it's a it's kind of night and day. Yeah, definitely. And I think the thing that I don't know, like I, I think I was maybe prepared that this could happen because there's this like almost this myth that exists in Canada. I don't know if it exists um, in other, you know, in the UK or and and America and stuff. But there's this myth of big in Japan that this idea that like you know in Japan they're so you know voracious for western media that your your artist will be you can be a huge artist in japan or you will automatically somehow be hugely popular because you're Mm. a western artist in japan but then going to japan you realize like no that's just like some people in that country there's there's just like uh, like shampoo yeah like very (laughs) very much yeah (laughs) a very to to the to the 1996 era (laughs) of wrestling yeah and it's like and when you go to Japan, there's like cultural things that are that are so much more popular than any sort of, you know, Western thing. And I, I there's a really roundabout way to get back to this point that I I just was like, I don't know if he would translate as as that kind of macho man at that point. You know, like I just was like watching him come out even uh, it was just like it felt like a, a relic from another era. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah, it's it's hard to say because you know I think like Hogan did very well, you know, with with transitioning to to a New Japan crowd. Um, whereas that's like Hogan, right? that's Hulk Hogan, and then the, you know he didn't have Savage didn't have the history in Japan that that Hogan did. Mm-hmm. So I think like Hogan could come back after six years and people go, holy shit, that's Hulk Hogan. Whereas like Savage, you know, coming back to Japan after what, you know, after a few years away and, and being, even when he was in Japan, he was in Japan as a WWF guy, you know, as, as opposed to being a, an all Japan guy or a new Japan guy. So yeah, there was less of this, you know, we'll accept him of a, as our own kind of thing. Um, it's another match with an interesting finish. Very weird. Like, was this like a shock that he'd win? No, no, like, I don't think so at all, you know, and, and you know, I, I think, like, if you see it as well, it, it was kind of like Tenzan getting an awful, awful lot 
before Savage wins. You know, yeah. it's kind of like the WCW sort of politics at work here. Of like, you know, Savage, Savage has to win, but like, you know, we'll make sure Tenzan gets his licks in. Um, no, but it was more like the three diving elbows and then rah, and then like he picks him up to hit his most devastating move, the inside cradle. <laughs> 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 Uh, that, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was definitely like the fact that it did take so much and then so little at the same yes. time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, yeah. Me and John Pollock talked about um, Saito and Larry Sabisco, which had a very similar finish, where it's like a bunch of backdrops and then and then like picks him, drags him up to his feet to give him an inside cradle. <laughs> so it's a thing, I suppose. Uh- <laughs> I wonder what he was like backstage to deal with in Japan, right? Because there's all these amazing, interesting stories about what he was like mm. in the of different places, you know? And, and then, yeah. of course, like, yeah. to me, he's like one of the most fascinating wrestlers. And this is, I think, a year, maybe two years before it would happen. But he would eventually try and hunt down and kill the band The Misfits for a while. Right. Because Gorgeous George ran off with Doyle uh, from the Misfits. I so see, he, he would see, actually see. pursue them at concerts. And actually a young MVP one time had to save uh, the Misfits from Randy Savage before he started training to be a wrestler. It's like a crazy, crazy, crazy story. But it's like, I, so Randy Savage to me is always like the most fascinating of wrestlers because I mm-hmm. loved him as a kid, but mm-hmm. then he also crosses over in a major way to the punk world. So I'm, I'm always intrigued by stories about him and, him in Japan would be a very interesting thing to kind of imagine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I should do some digging and see if the, if people have good uh, savage stories. Um, but yeah, I mean, those were our two New Japan shows uh, in the Tokyo Dome in 1996. Oh, oh. Are we yeah. going to talk about that Sasuke match? Uh, d- did you have anything else from Sasuke? Well, I just, there was like a, a couple, uh, like I just wanted to kind of like find out um, from you more or less, like, with with Takamichinoku, mm. is it still like it's it's still an active promotion, right? Does he still own it? It it's so yeah, Jinsei Senjaki owns it. Um with Takamichinoku, it was a case of like Michinoku like debuted uh in Michinoku Pro and he was given the name. Oh sorry, that's I'm sorry. I'm, I, Sas- I fucked up with my Sasuke gave him the name or Shinzaki gave him the name and like he didn't really want it but like you know, he, he wound up taking it and and uh running with it so yeah taka like runs uh kayante dojo oh, um, God, and that's still going well and uh yeah. yeah michinoku pro is still going kind of it's going you know yeah. uh with uh with jinsei shinzaki and in, in charge and uh it's a real oh god it's it's a real shame that it didn't get the the huge release that it deserved but like the awesome awesome uh great sasuke documentary um that came out a couple of years ago um is is a really really worth a look and that sort of explores the position that michinoku pro was in suddenly sort of about five six years ago when it was it was shot who uh, um, put it out? Hmm. Or what's the story on that doc? I don't know. I really don't. Um, because I know it, it got kickstarted and did well. And I think those the people the back the Kickstarter got their DVDs. 
Yeah. Um, and I know, like, years ago, like, I saw a, a, a screener, you know, and everything was subtitled and ready to go and, and, and looked great. But, um, yeah, after that, I think it was in a couple of festivals and then has has disappeared. So yeah. if, uh, yeah, if anybody involved is listening to this, then maybe they can make it on some streaming service because um, it's very much worth a watch, I think. Um, and then also, did you see... Uh... Uh, the great Sasuke this, and Joey Janela's Spring Break. I did not. No, I, I well, I I've watched a lot of Sasuke in in, in gift form. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be like probably the most common way to consume wrestling in 2018, isn't it? Though, yeah, yeah, it's, especially to like me and you, Damon, as as parents, you know, yes, there's just not enough hours in the day. But I will happily. I was very upset actually because um i certainly i you know i haven't watched uh wwe for a long time and certainly wouldn't watch wrestlemania i just don't have uh you know a day of my life to spend on that stuff but I also, what happily, time would that be on in japan too i like a good time well a good time if you're not working okay because you know, like it usually it sort of winds up starting at like eight in the morning and then going until just after lunch you know oh, so like yeah. i've had a couple day. of times where you know on one of my last jobs you know i had a i wound up having a, a monday off and we'd have like a little brunch and it was nice you know um but uh yeah i i will happily consume wrestlemania through like gifs and twitter snark you know <laughs> yes. and then i was upset this year because you know i had work on the monday and i was so busy and then by the time i had enough time to just look at my phone twitter does that thing where you know it stops being chronological and it's like here's you may have missed this and it's like yeah. oh no Ooh, like i want to like consume yeah, spoiler <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah, yeah I, I was in, in i was at wrestlemania weekend last year for the first oh, yeah. time ever like so i had a chance like obviously it was in toronto but i didn't get tickets back then didn't uh have the money back then to get the tickets but like at this point i was like oh i'm i, I can go to wrestlemania i'm here mm. blah blah but I did go back to the hotel and choose to consume it through Twitter snark and gift form as well. Yeah, yeah. there you go. That's the way. That's the way you do um, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one promotion that you probably couldn't consume, one show, pair of shows that we couldn't consume on uh, through Twitter snark at the time because Twitter wasn't a thing. But like, <laughs> uh, yeah, the the other two uh, Tokyo Dome shows that happened in 1996 happened on Christmas Day and Boxing Day. 1996 and this was uh jd star um what is the deal with this strange promotion a couple of strange shows with like one or two matches each uh that that didn't make air so this this is the only like part of the book where it's it's like an open confessional i haven't seen these these matches i don't know what happened in them um but yeah this was uh part of a thing called the michael yoshimoto dai hakarenkai um, which is like, Michael is still like a thing. It's, it's a big sort of, uh, corporation. And what this was, was kind of like, it was a talent agency's expo, I guess you could say. Um, so it was like a two day festival in the Tokyo dome. And then it would be, uh, this company, um, Yoshimoto entertainment who like was a talent management company um and they'd go okay here here's our pop group and they're gonna sing a few songs and then here's like our people that want to be actresses or like 
TV presenters, <laughs> and then here's a couple of wrestling matches. Um, yeah, very bizarre because like the the whole thing came from Yoshimoto Entertainment wanted to expand into China, uh-huh. um, and to do that they needed a bigger portfolio in Japan. So they kind of thought, let's start a wrestling promotion <laughs> because you know they're they're theory you know they were running on a very sort of 1980s theory of like we can make our wrestling stars be cross-media and cross-platform and they can act and they can sing and you know and they can be wrestlers as well and they can go on tv you know they were trying to basically make the crush gals like in 1990 you know um or beauty pair or whatever yeah and uh yeah that 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 just that didn't have and like the the bloom was kind of off the rose with uh with joshi at this point um and then you know there were this was a little bit later on in the game but when they tried to sort of make jd star a bit more relevant again they would do the same thing but they'd say okay we don't have wrestlers we have athletes that are also actresses and they called them actresses <laughs> <laughs> oh that's the, the, uh, they should adopt that worldwide yeah well yes yeah uh yeah. wait so like is so did any of these people go on to work for any of the other promotions well i mean they they kind of picked up like a lot of free agents that had okay. left like all japan women at the time so they, they picked up jaguar yakota they picked up bison kimura um were they singing and were they doing the pop star stuff too? Oh no, no, I'd like I think like they were trying to they they sort of uh took on a girl called uh Chikakoshiratori who I guess as their sort of de facto ace because like she had been working for Japan Women's or LLPW one of one of the other ones anyway, and had a back injury at like twenty one. Okay. And so she'd quote unquote retired, you know, and then like a few years later she was ready to come back. So it was like we're gonna build everything uh around her and then you know i mean they had jaguar yokota like run the promotion effectively you know i mean so it was kind of well run in theory um lioness asuka you know went to work for them they had like you know because this was a huge um sort of conglomerate and uh talent agency and and stuff they had decent production there as well they had a licensing deal with Banpresto. um it was just yeah it, like at this point Joshi, you know, it was just in a rapid descent, you know, I think, sadly, you know, ever since the, mm-hmm. the sort of big egg show in, in 94, really. It's it's funny, too, how, like, uh, that, that kind of, like, singing and dancing thing in wrestling, like, like when I went to stardom, I couldn't believe how mm. much of that there was. Yeah. And, and even DDT has, like, three or four different people that... Yeah. We'll, we'll take a dance during the course of their, their their entrances or matches or something. So it's like, it's 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 a, a real full entertainment kind of show. So it's it's kind of a uh, kind of shocking well, that the, it didn't catch on more. Well, I think it speaks to the, like what you were saying before about fandom. Is that like if people are showing up to these shows because they're such fan of of one of one particular talent, then you know let's get as much out of this person as we can. Then in that case, you know, yeah um and so it 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 sort of makes sense you know i i think but um yeah it, it was just a, a sort of declining returns you know in, in terms of of scale that, that was going on here you know well it's a big venue to try and fill 
Exactly, exactly. I mean, to be fair, I don't think anybody that was coming to this festival was paying for it. Um, so it, it's it's hard to say. But like, uh, yeah, I think they the announced or the, the, the figure I could find for it was somewhere in the 8,000 range, um, which was, uh, it would be the lowest car, lowest uh, attendee uh, Tokyo Dome show until DDT ran into Tokyo Dome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that that uh, that'll be a fun one to read in your book. That chapter. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So yeah, that's uh, that was uh, 1996. Um, and uh, thanks, Damien, for for joining me. Next time uh, we're going to be taking a look at 1997 with uh, with Nate Milton. Nate's going to join me um to because i really chose nate because the a lot of the the wcw sort of ties and this being the peak nwa japan and then i didn't know that nate was actually in japan for a good chunk of the late 1990s i had no Um, idea that either yeah so i'm sure he's gonna have like a a couple of uh good stories good stories to tell um with mm. nate like i've hung out with that dude like like a bunch of times well i didn't know but i was i was listening to his keep it 2000 podcast Wow. And then he, he brought it up. It was like, oh, yeah, in like 98, 99, I, I was in Japan at the time. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nate built an international man of mystery. There we go. So we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that. Um, yeah, Damien, on the way out here, this is this podcast right here is going to be an early access podcast for the people that book the Backed the Eggshells book on uh, Indiegogo. They will get this next week as we are speaking. Um, but the good people, uh, listening in the general public, um, who by now have probably, hopefully bought the book eggshells, uh, on Amazon or wherever books are sold, they will be getting this uh, a good deal later. Let's say, I don't know, August. So with that in mind, uh, Damien, what do you have to plug that's coming out late summer, early autumn? Well, by that point, hopefully the wrestlers will be just around the corner. Yay. So uh, if you are a fan of professional wrestling, uh, I got to live out the ultimate fantasy and go around the world kind of documenting pro wrestling as an international art form and went everywhere from from uh, Nunavut to the Democratic Republic of Congo to Bolivia to Mexico to right beside my buddy Chris in yep. uh, Japan at first yep. rank. I'm in uh, that TV show. Yeah. You are definitely in that TV show. And and you are introduced appropriately and deservedly as Japanese wrestling expert. Uh, <laughs> um, be, and uh, it was a, yeah, no. So it's, it's, it's really awesome. It's, and I'm not just saying that because I'm in it. Um, I'm saying it because as a fan, like, I think this was, you know, what I'd always wanted to see kind of happen. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait for other people to see it. So I'm really stoked for people to see it. Um, I'm really stoked for you, Chris, to finally be able to see yourself on screen. <laughs> TV, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sort of relive a, a bizarre, mind-melting afternoon as well, where, you know, suddenly we were sitting on Kochibushi's beanbag in his apartment. Oh, no, there's <laughs> like the... Oh, well, yeah, and then, well, like, we, Chris, you're... You, like, there was a couple times, right, man? We also... Uh, like, Kotobushi hangout has got to be there's just so many things like we're talking with jun kasai backstage just before he goes out and decimates himself you know yeah, and it's just yeah. like how how is this happening like it, it really is in you know for uh a, a very very uh dilettante japanese pro wrestling fan like myself 
um, it was the ultimate incredible experience. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I got to share it with the guy that I kind of owe for getting me into the stuff, at least writing the literal history book that I studied. So thank you, Chris, for all the work you've done. Thank you uh, very much. Yeah. And uh, for everybody listening, as I said, uh, go get yourself another little he- history book in Eggshells Pro Wrestling at the Tokyo Dome. Um, follow Damien on social media. Yeah. At Left for Damien. Uh, my yeah. band has a new record coming out about now, I think. Hopefully it's announced by now. I don't know if it's not announced by the time you hear this podcast. I'm lying. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, it, we have a record coming out. And uh, yeah, pick up. Pick up another book by Chris because Chris is doing doing the Lord's work by allowing us in the rest of the world and not access to speaking Japanese language uh, information that is, you know, priceless. All right. Awesome. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll or I will speak to you next time. Uh, so thanks for listening. Goodbye.